You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Each week, we come to you with the information that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family for their health care. The show is brought to you by the Docs Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. The Docs the for Patient Care Foundation stands for principles um, that we talk about on this show, the doctor-patient relationship and uh, health care freedom for all Americans. We need your help. We need your support. So please donate generously. Go to our website at www.d4, the number four, d4pcfoundation.org. Read about the work that we're doing. The work does not stop because we have a pandemic. We need you to just continue to give us the support that we need so that we can be out there uh, exposing the, uh, the lies and and uh, giving you the information that you need so that you can uh, successfully navigate uh, the, uh, the, uh, the mess that's out there in healthcare these days. And today, to help me uh, put some clarity uh, on what's going on right now, which is uh, something that we have never experienced, nor do I hope that we ever experience again, is an old friend, of of mine, uh, a long time friend, not an old friend, a long time friend of mine, <laughs> uh, a a, 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 a frequent guest in this show, uh, Betsy McCoy, who is the uh, uh, chairman of the committee to reduce infection deaths and the former lieutenant governor of New York State. She is uh, a syndicated columnist. Uh, she writes about health care and politics, and there's nobody who uh, I would uh, prefer to have on the show this morning to try to get some clarity into what's going on than uh, Betsy McCoy. So, Betsy, good morning. Good morning, and I always love being on your show, Hal. It's such a public service. Well, thank you so much for saying that. You know, we've been uh, trying to uh, just get word out to as many people as we can about what is really uh, happening, the truth about uh, things in healthcare, and uh, at, at no time uh, do we need that truth more than, than right now. And uh, there's just so much that we need to cover. First of all, Betsy, you are in the epicenter of this storm in uh, the New York metropolitan area, so please tell our listeners how you are doing. Well, I'm doing just fine because I've been uh, socially isolated totally with my little family here for 22 days, and that's a luxury many people don't have. And uh, so I feel very safe. But when I look at New York, New York is the epicenter. It literally has almost half the cases and deaths in the nation. And you have to ask yourself why. Part of it is that it's... The city and metro areas have a population density far higher than anywhere else. Uh, and, of course, before 
and change the date the, and time. The uh, public even realized that there was something called coronavirus. People were traveling to New York from areas already hit by the coronavirus, particularly China, and uh, so the the virus was circulating before anybody knew about it. But in addition, there are some factors that make New York very, very vulnerable, and there are lessons to be learned. One is that New York's hospital system was already taxed. In other words, it didn't have sufficient capacity in many ways. So many hospitals had been closed, and uh, the hospitals had been underpaid uh, for years by the Medicaid system. So this, this hospital system was tottering on the brink before it got hit by coronavirus. And we know from looking at places like Florida that when, when uh, hospitals are in better shape, the death rates are lower. Mm. So you brought up China, and, uh, you know, I want to just get this off the table. Um, do you believe uh, that the virus originated in a wet market, or are you somewhat suspicious about the coincidence that the virology laboratory for China uh, is resides in Wuhan? You know, in, in, right. in the U.S. There are so there many a- lies about the source the origins of this coronavirus, Hal. Uh, I don't know whether it originated in the seafood market or in the lab. And when you look at the earliest articles to come out, the very first victims weren't it hadn't gone to the market. They they were sick and said they had no association with the market. Whether that's true or not, it's hard to say. But. It's, we're not going to get the truth out of China. We don't know where it originated, and that's troubling, although we do have now a, a relatively accurate genomic map of this virus. So, so we're able to work on developing therapies and vaccines, uh, even if we can't figure out how, how it actually got produced in the first place. Mm. Well, you know, it, I think that that's something that's going to... Uh, get sorted out after all of this because right now, you know, we are in the middle of, of a major crisis. It's like, uh, you know, I, I always, I, I don't like using cliches or, or metaphors, but it's like trying to, um, to work on the engines of a 767 when it's in flight. You gotta wait until it lands and then we can go ahead and investigate and take things apart. But right now we've got a bigger problem on our hands, which is how do we get out of this mess? And, and, um, and I think that, uh, uh, the media has made this situation worse. I think, Betsy, maybe you can, you can uh, comment on the politicization of this whole affair. <laughs> it is so extensive that when you turn on cable news at night, it's hard to know what's true because every station is taking a position that is so uh, 180 degrees contrary to what the next station. People just can't rely on this television news to get the truth. I'll tell you a, a perfect example of it is the way CNN and the Washington Post are bashing the use of hydroxychloroquine with a Z-Pak uh, on patients seriously ill with this virus. Now, it is true that we don't have the same uh, wrapped up with a button, gold standard, randomized, double-blind clinical trial for this 
treating coronavirus as we do in ordinary times uh, when the FDA insists on all of that before a drug is, is, is used. But these are people dying with ventilators on. They only have a little while left. And hydroxychloroquine has been used for many years to treat lupus, to treat malaria. Uh, the, 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 the trial that came out of France and was written up did show the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine in a ZPAC. It wasn't a big trial, and it wasn't randomized, but it was a trial. And mm-hmm. now we see from thousands of examples at bedside, it's being used by the in, in tens of thousands of doses right in hospitals in New York, and we're getting the reports out, that many patients are responding. So why is the Washington Post and CNN waging a war against the president for saying, put the pedal to the metal and let's get the data on these drugs and use them? The president has distributed tens of thousands of doses of this to New York because patients had nothing else, Hal, nothing else. Right, right. And you brought this up, and I'll expand on this. Um, Jackson and Coker, which is a uh, physician and medical staffing company that does surveys um, on a regular basis for many, many years, uh, sent out a survey. I was actually one of the ones who received the survey. Uh, They sent it out. Um, to uh, over uh, 1,200 doctors, almost 1,300 doctors from 50 states across the U.S. And this came out yesterday that 65% of physicians across the United States would prescribe chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine to treat or prevent COVID-19 in a family member. And uh, only 11% of the doctors surveyed said that they would not use the drug at all. So, so Betsy, where where is the media getting this information? Total from? dishonesty. They know they're, they're being ma- dishonest. And you know what? When you look at Dana Bash on CNN, for example, and she says how terrible it is that the president is hawking this unproven drug, you know that if she or someone in her family had coronavirus, she'd be begging for it. Absolutely, and not, not only are they, they making up facts, but, but they are actually, or, or they're not reporting the truth, but they're fabricating data that is just the opposite. And so, so um, I, I, uh, how do we, how do we uh, get out of this, uh, this Well, shows like yours mess. are a big public service because we're getting the word out there. And I have to say, I'm paying tribute to the president, who is undeterred, <laughs> unruffled by these critics. Yes. He just moves he right ahead, right? He says, every Absolutely. time I'm not a doctor, I know there are side effects, but what do you got to lose? Exactly, exactly. He's a pragmatist. He, he, he looks at a situation just like somebody who's running a corporation, and instead of getting um, bogged down in 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 minutia in things that don't matter he's trying to solve a problem by getting to the to the heart of the matter and putting together a, a response team who he relies on who you know he he knows has the expertise to fix these problems right so so I, so I that that brings me to the the next question what do you think about 
his um, his response team. What do you do? You think that um, you know I, there are good people on that team, the great people on that team. But but I have I have my bias that that I'll that I'll uh, uh, interject after I hear what you have to say. Well, my view is not about individuals on the team, but rather the current approach. And that's the, I think they've made some very good decisions, but right now it's time to end this shutdown. And Not you wrote when, about that yesterday. Well, and I'm, I'm writing about it again today because the fact is that uh, when I hear some people say, well, we can end the shutdown when we have a vaccine. Ridiculous. That's 18 months away. We won't have a society, a country anymore in 18 months. We are facing, according to the St. Louis Fed, a 32% unemployment rate by June. Even Goldman Sachs modestly expects 15%. We will know later today when the jobs figures come out exactly how bad it's going to be. But in the last two weeks... 10 million people have newly applied for unemployment benefits. And here's my concern. This shutdown is, I mean, this uh, coronavirus is now estimated to kill 60,400 Americans. That's tragic. But this shutdown is going to cause twice that number of deaths from people losing their jobs. And the people who have modeled, the academics and the public health officials who have created these models, tracking the virus and predicting the number of deaths and when they will occur, have never asked, what about the deaths from the shutdown? It hasn't dawned on them. They're getting their paychecks, right? They're, they're unaffected by the millions and millions of layoffs. They don't have to worry. But layoffs cause things like suicide, drug overdoses, alcoholism, deaths of despair. It's going to be an epidemic, and I'm not predicting like they are. I'm not just looking at some model. I'm looking at the cold, hard facts from the National Bureau of Economic Research, from the medical journal Lancet and other places that document from past experience how many people die with every 1% hike in the unemployment rate. And I can tell you, we can expect 126,000 deaths directly linked to those layoffs based on that historical experience in our own country. Now, that is something to really deal with, 126,000 deaths from layoffs. That is frightening. And, you know, the, the problem with the team, and I, and I think that they're, as individuals, they are they're just spectacular people. I think that Tony Fauci is is a, a patriot. And he's a, a, a fantastic doctor. I happen to um, have a good friend who was the head of uh, infectious disease at, at uh, the Children's Hospital here in Atlanta, who uh, who is a colleague of of uh, Dr. Fauci's and has nothing but the highest admiration for him. But Everybody he does. He's a superb human being. He is, but he lives in a world that is a bubble. He, it's not exactly. so much that he's getting a paycheck. He, he's got blinders on. So the only right. thing that he is considering is the virus. And what yes. do you do to fix exactly. a viral outbreak? 
You know, this reminds me of the people at the CDC, also very well-meaning, who spent millions of dollars trying to eradicate the last two cases of polio in Pakistan. they got to get those last two cases, right? That's wonderful. But let's talk about the cost of doing that. This is like you want to eradicate this virus no matter what. How many people are going to get laid off in the process? Right, right. It's well. It's 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 basically taking a sledgehammer to kill a mosquito. And I'm not even trying to say that the coronavirus is a mosquito, but the approach is to set off a neutron bomb right. to kill exactly. everything. I think the sledgehammer and, metaphor is superb. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Because, look, well, at 60,000 deaths, that's terrible. But we, we've got a lot more deaths than that. Compare that to deaths from the regular flu. Now, it doesn't right. surge the way this does. The regular flu is spread over half a year instead of in just a few weeks, so it doesn't cripple uh, or devastate our hospital system the way this could. But that's right. only happening in a few places. Yes, it is. It is. And so you wrote a, a, a superb article yesterday that had to end the shutdown. So, so I'd, like to, I'd like to explore that right now before we oh, go yeah. into some other issues. It's pretty how clear you, what the roadmap is. We've got three tools that we did not have a few weeks ago. We have therapeutics coming online within weeks. They are already being used on patients in clinical trials all over the New York area and other parts of the country, but particularly in New York because of the huge number of cases here. And the key is for the FDA regulators to examine that data as it comes from the bedside, not wait till the trial is over the way they usually do, but to watch as it accumulates and say, okay, this drug is working, this drug is safe, let's get it into the market, right? They can do that. And we've got, and several of these drugs are repurposed drugs. So they've already been approved for something else, right? Yes. Th- th- this is, we are ready to go. So this is going to become just, a treatable and just, disease. And let me just interject, you know, because this is another one of the media lies about these drugs being used off label. This is something as a physician that we, we do all the time. I, I'm a pediatric specialist, and there is absolutely zero, zero drugs that have been approved for pediatric use. All the drugs are used off-label. Right, because so they don't have trials with kids. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So go on. So okay, how do we get so that's number this? one. This will be a treatable disease in a matter of weeks. Number two. We have two types of tests now available, the five-minute Abbott test, which means that you can test and see whether someone's positive or negative in, literally in five minutes. We just got to get the hardware all across the country to employers, not just at uh, urgent care facilities and hospitals. This is a pretty easy-to-use test. And secondly, we are, we are going to have a serological test widely avail- available. It's also being manufactured right now. Explain, explain what that means to everybody. Well, to, to test whether you have antibodies in your system that indicate you've already had the virus and you are now likely, we don't have a lot of data on this yet, but likely immune. And that means that we'll be able to open up the workplace safely 
Uh, and that's also something that can be done in weeks. We have the technology to do that. That's number two. And number three is we can be regional about this. There are a few hot spots, but this nation should not be shut down because there are a few hot spots because nobody's weighing, to get back to what I said at the beginning, the price of the shutdown, the thousands and thousands of lives that are going to be lost because of unemployment. Right. That's right. So, so in in regard to uh, getting back to where where we were, um, there there are there are people actually who um, President Trump is talking about putting together another task force. It's something that has been been uh, uh, hinted at, and not just hinted, but but uh, intimated. What does that look like? Well, I hope that it will be. I'm, I'm, I'm a strong supporter of what the president's done, it, and frankly, the whole initial task force, because they have done heroic work marshalling the materials and the manpower needed, bringing them to New York and other places that were overwhelmed, and really their performance has been superb. But now we need a task force that's not focused on saving coronavirus lives today, but rather leading us out of the shutdown. And that will be uh, people who can uh, light the fire under the FDA to get these drugs out immediately, uh, work with uh, employers to get testing into the workplace immediately, and then examine what areas of the country should be opened up immediately. Yes, absolutely. So the... um there, there are the people that we see on TV pretty much every day. Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, um, we see uh, uh, Secretary Azar. Uh, there, there are a lot of other people who are writing about what's going on, who are strong voices, who have not been listened to, but who are extremely bright, intelligent, and bringing good information to the table. For example, Dr. Oz, who a lot of people dismiss, and I have to say the last person in the world I thought I would be um, using as a source is Dr. Oz, but he has been talking to people all over the world about uh, chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. Um, Scott Gottlieb, who we both know. Oh, yeah. um, Top drawer. Absolutely top drawer. Absolutely. He is... He was, when, when the CDC was saying no masks, he was, he was um, uh, tweeting out papers from around the world about right. the efficacy of, of wearing masks. Yes, and, it, uh, and, and I have and, to just break in and say the one agency of the federal government that has, that has performed abysmally is the CDC. Well, they've become so politicized, haven't they, over, over oh the my decades? God. Politicized it's, it's, and globalized. They are no more concerned with Americans putting America first than the man in the moon. I'm telling you, when we they, they have allowed the public health infrastructure in this country to completely disintegrate while they were sending billions and billions of dollars $5 billion to sub-Saharan Africa to build up its public health infrastructure 
to fight Ebola. Now, that's a good cause. But to see how the money was taken from public health here is shocking. Right. We don't have the lab capacity either. Right. It wasn't the president. It wasn't the president. It wasn't this president. It wasn't Obama. It wasn't Bush. It was the CDC, which is always under Frieden, kept saying a disease anywhere is a disease everywhere. That is not true. That is not true. We cannot afford to have the American standard of public infrastructure everywhere in the world. And we certainly can't afford to build it elsewhere first. Right. I totally agree with you. And and we are not the doctor to the world. It's, it's a noble cause, but the first obligation that our agencies have are to the American people. Right. And and they have they have um, they have let us down. They have uh, unfortunately they started out as a as an organization with a noble cause and they were doing good work, but over the the last three decades it has become more and more politicized. Yeah. And now now it's it's a it's a beast unto itself. It's out of control. Well, and, and also it, very disturbing. The other bias that they have that really crippled us here is they have a strong bias against commerce, against anything that's for-profit. If you're an academic or a government scientist, you can talk to the CDC any day of the week. But if you, God forbid, work for a for-profit company where most of the real breakthroughs are happening, you have to wait for vendor day. Like you have mm-hmm. a scarlet A on your forehead. You have to wait for vendor day. Maybe it comes once every three months. And it's as if whatever you're saying is tainted by the fact that you work for a for-profit company. And that is why our hospitals don't have the kind of technology that's totally available to make their operating rooms uh, uh, free of bacteria and much safer, right? They don't have it because the CDC doesn't want to listen to the for-profit sector. Right, and and not only that, but there's so much bureaucracy. People right. who have who have uh, really not been involved in healthcare for many many years, if ever, making yeah. policies that have that that affect people's lives on a daily basis. And it's interesting that you said what you said because, again, going back to the Jackson Coker survey, um, the physicians who did not want to use some of these treatments that we've talked about, like chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine, who wanted more data were doctors under age 45, academics, and those who practice medicine in a healthcare system. The ones who are independent, who have a brain, who are not part of this bureaucracy kind of mindlessly moving forward, are, are, they're the critical ones. They're the ones who, unfortunately, nobody is listening to. Yes. Well, but you can look at this fiasco with the testing and see that it was because the CDC didn't want for-profit companies creating tests, as if... Those would be inferior to what they were trying to invent in their own labs. Right. Inferior or it would be tainted. And uh, that's something that is, you know, that, that's just uh, an idea that, again, academics who live in an ivory tower, who don't look at the real world like we've talked about and the implications in a real world setting, 
they they are um, they those those opinions those those uh, those thoughts are are easily dismissed by by elitists, and this is right. what that's become. Um, so so Betsy, can you stay with us because we're going to be going to break shortly, and I'd love to cover. No, but some I want to come back next you. week or the week after. Okay, we can. Let me just ask you, that would be great. Let me just ask you one thing then before the break. We'll take a late break. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you um, where where you think this is going to wind up when we get to the other side of this. Well, I'm hoping that the president will, uh, as he has a tremendous skill and ability to really look beyond the Washington, D.C. bubble and hear what people all over the country are saying. And they are saying, we want the shutdown lifted because we know that the economic damage, we're not talking about dollars here, we're talking about lives, that the number of people who are going to get laid off and not rehired, the number of people whose lives are going to be destroyed because they spent 30 years building a business and now it's shuttered, they want America open for business. They're willing to deal with this disease in other ways, but the shutdown has got to end, and that's how it should end. Okay. Well, I can't agree with you more, and, uh, you know, I think that um, I'm hoping that from a physician standpoint, we we uh, wind up in a better place than we were before um, with regard to um, less red tape and bureaucracy, greater availability of resources instead of outsourcing them to other countries, and um, and and just a, a system that uh, is stronger instead of weaker. Uh, not a single payer healthcare system, which would which huh. would uh, be a disaster. I think that's right definitely now. over. People now realize how important the healthcare system is to them, and when they look at what happened in Italy and Spain, they see that patients were literally lying on the corridor floors with a red line drawn around them that was supposed to be their bed (laughs) oh my god well you know um betsy i i I can't thank you enough for taking time out from your busy schedule i know that uh, there's a lot going on and uh you know we're all thinking and and of you praying for all the people in new york and elsewhere who have this um deadly disease or who are uh, whose lives have been uh, altered uh, in ways that we can't even imagine so so um, keep up the the good work we thank you for your your uh, truth telling and and hard work and I'm looking forward to having you come back in a couple weeks great to join you Hal bye bye Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom 
and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and uh, we just got through speaking with um, our uh, guest this morning, Betsy McCoy. Betsy has uh, probably the the uh, one of the uh, biggest microphones as a uh, uh, a uh, commentator and and writer about healthcare issues um, and uh, she has been very outspoken um, uh, in support of what President Trump has been doing the administration this effort but she's also been uh, uh, critical of the way that uh, the country has shut down and um, and how it does not look like there's any end in sight. Um, uh, so she has uh, shown us a roadmap how we can get out of this. And there really is no end in sight right now unless um, we take uh, initiatives to... to uh, uh, undo the damage of the shutdown because as uh, uh, Betsy McCoy um, stated that the um, the carnage from a shutdown very likely can and will exceed the uh, death toll from the disease itself and so this is something that as physicians we always make sure we tell our patients that we do not want the cure to be worse than the disease. And this is one of those cases where we may actually be witnessing just that. Um, if you know that uh, you've got a, uh, a disease, um, a cancer, um, that uh, is uh, um, mostly curable or controllable with surgery, uh, you do not want to use drugs, toxic drugs that are going to wipe out the patient's immune system and uh, and let them die from from a, uh, a common cold or from their organs shutting down as a result of the treatment. And that's what we're witnessing right now with this uh, response to COVID. Uh, it is um, interesting. I wanted to 
ask uh, Betsy when she was on, and we'll maybe be able to get to this next time when we have her on the show. I wanted to ask her about what she thought about Italy and about Spain, about Europe. Some data came out yesterday that this strain of, uh, of COVID may not have actually originated in China, but in Europe. Now, it's interesting how they can map this, this, uh, uh, the, the, the genome, this is the genes of the virus itself, and track it to a specific geographic location. But um, yeah, there's very little that's written about the Italy experience or the Spain experience. But I think that what um, I've read, um, although it's not um, been popularized very well, is that the Italian shoe industry um, is dependent now on foreign workers. And... Um, uh, instead of outsourcing the shoe industry to another country, like has occurred in the U.S. with all of our industries in virtually every sector, um, the uh, Italians bring in foreign workers to work in their factories. And that happened in, uh, in Italy, in northern Italy, where the shoe uh, industry is uh, centered, and the workers came from China, and they came from the province where Wuhan is um, in large numbers. And so there was free travel between China and Europe for quite some time uh, until it was recognized that this was a problem and, and, and China was shut down, but, but the Italians didn't shut their border to... to uh, to the Chinese coming in as the United States did. So, so there were a number of, of Europeans who were infected, and, and these Europeans then had free travel to the United States until we've closed down borders from countries where there appeared to be uh, um, high of affected cases. But um, the... Uh, this this uh, pandemic, which originated in China, I don't think there's any any mystery. Despite the Chinese attempts to point the finger elsewhere, the um, right now what what is uh, is happening is uh, that that nobody is really talking about the why, and I think that that's that's something that uh, we'll, there'll be plenty of time for. But I, right now, I think that uh, we need to focus on. On how to get out of this out of this uh, mess right now, how to break this cycle, and uh, um, and there's there's uh, certain ways to do it. And Betsy McCoy mentioned that we start using drugs, we start using increased testing, <coughs> and we continue doing some of the things that we're doing with the social distancing and wearing masks, but. Excuse me, I do not have coronavirus. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and this is the epicenter of of, uh, of spring and uh, pollen. In fact, the pollen count pollen counter was um, was invented was uh, was created um, by uh, Atlanta asthma and allergy, um, and uh, this is widely used around. The, the world now to measure pollen counts. Um, 
but um, this is, uh, you know, the the thing that we need to do. We need to really uh, get out of this crisis by doing increased testing, and uh, we're, we're seeing this now. We're seeing, um, you know, the, the availability of testing. In fact, the the uh, hospital where where I work primarily, which is the Children's uh, Healthcare of Atlanta, um, we're talking about um, when these tests become available to uh, start testing all preoperative patients to determine whether or not they've got coronavirus or not, possibly antibodies, but not, we're not so much concerned about the antibodies in an acute setting. What we're really interested in is whether or not they're infected currently or not. And this rapid test will enable us to go ahead and uh, determine that. And so once we're able to determine whether or not somebody is sick or not, um, if they're sick, they go home and they go into uh, isolation. If they're well, then they can proceed with surgery. And we don't really need the PPE in that setting. We don't have to waste it on everybody because we don't know who's sick and who's not. And um, and then we can start to come out of this and use resources more reliably. Um, we can also start doing surgeries. We can get back to normal behavior. Right now, we, I have been unable to do an operation for three weeks. And um, it's, there's um, a, a backlog of, of cases of patients who... Um, who are going to require surgery. So, so we need to get those people back into the operating room so that we can go ahead and start taking care of routine problems that, uh, that, that they've always had that we've taken care of. Um, and, and so the testing will allow us uh, to go ahead and do this. You know, the healthcare system, I, I, I must comment, is... Um, is really now the the thing that everybody is talking about. We talk about it on this show every single week, and this is something that we focused on, but it doesn't um, really get the attention that it needs, that it requires, until everybody realizes how much they need it. How, when we get into a situation like this, how important it is to have doctors, how important it is to have equipment, um, the soft underbelly of the healthcare system is being exposed by the the politics that have uh, um, been uh, uh, that have developed that has created this this situation that we're in right now. Um, we we have um, we've uh, outsourced the manufacturing of all the protective gear to to Asia to China. And and in a in a uh, crunch when when we need it we can't get it even if before COVID virus hit the U.S. we were we were actually dealing with a shortage in the operating rooms for weeks weeks and weeks I'm talking about um, six to eight weeks where we couldn't get. Um, gowns we so there were surgeries that we did that typically we put a gown on um, and we were trying to determine which surgeries do we really need to do use gowns on and 
I know that may sound startling to a lot of people, but there are some procedures that we might not necessarily need to use a surgical gown for. If you're doing an eye surgery and it's very, um, and it's it's just very superficial, you're doing superficial surgery, not cutting into um, a body cavity, but on the surface of the skin. As long as you maintain sterile technique, you use sterile gloves, you use sterile drapes, um, but you you don't necessarily need to use the entire um, uh, uh, gamut of of, uh, of uh, materials or or protective gear to the patient that we would uh, typically use. And what this this several months ago um, uh, exposed is really the um, uh, all of the uh, Procedures, all the process that we do, um, may really just not not be based on sound evidence or fact. It's dogma. It's something that has developed over time, and um, and we just accept it as fact because it's the way it always has been. Um, so I think that now that we don't have what we always have used, it really is changing the way we think about certain things. But by outsourcing our manufacturing to China for this protective gear, it has made us very vulnerable. The same is true for drugs. You know, we've, we've uh, components of drugs that are actually finally assembled here in the, in the U.S., many of those come from China. And, you know, we've, we've gotten um, politicians who have sold us a bill of goods over um, a generation about how we're a global community, how we're all interconnected, how everything, you know, that we do here affects people elsewhere and vice versa. And so we really need to all work together. Well, unfortunately, that's not how the world works. The... There, there's bad actors everywhere, and this whole coronavirus uh, fiasco is a great example of it. You know, this could have been contained um, very, very easily if it had been um, uh, honestly been approached by the Chinese, but they did not do that. You know, in the U.S., uh, a number of years ago, I recall that there was a problem in the CDC where a virus got out and, and the people at the CDC, despite the fact that Betsy McCoy and I bashed the CDC as being a, a basically a, a political, you know, bureaucracy. It's it just, it's not, uh, it, it's, it's lost its way and deviated from what it was when it was created. The CDC got ahead of that um, accident and, and contained it very quickly. And there was no fallout from there. There was no, no problem, but the Chinese um, did not do that. And, and again, I, I think that what Betsy McCoy said about the origin of this disease coming from a laboratory instead of from a wet market um, is uh, very, very likely, especially because of the lack of, of people in the market being the ones who were sick and, and instead the people who were in the laboratory being the ones who were the ones who were affected early on. So um, I think that uh, the, uh, 
the the relying on the Chinese to to uh, be able to provide the materials and and the products that we need to be able to be prepared for um, the next crisis that comes up in healthcare is a, a fool's errand. I, we have to do a, a better job of uh, getting ahead of that. And if, if there's any lessons that we've learned, that should be the number one lesson. The second lesson that I think that uh, we, we should take away from all of this is the fact that um, the World Health Organization, the WHO, has been extremely dishonest about their approach to this entire pandemic and their apologist stance for the Chinese. And I think that the, um, this, this whole uh, crisis underscores the fact that the U.S. is, is uh, alone. I don't mean to say that we can't work with the world, but the world does not uh, necessarily um, view the United States favorably despite the fact that they rely on us for virtually everything, including our brain power and expertise in creating what is going to be required to come out of this pandemic and to prevent future pandemics. But we can't rely on the World Health Organization to, um, to oversee um, what uh, the, the response worldwide should be to something like this, and nor should we... Um, be compelled to abide by whatever the World Health Organization is uh, is uh, advocating and uh, and uh, trying to uh, get the United States to do. We lead the world in virtually every um, arena, and healthcare is, uh, is is at the top of the list. And so, we do not need the WHO to tell us what we should be doing in the United States from a healthcare standpoint. We should work with, with bright people around the world and, and, and utilize their expertise to uh, help us to get better treatments, better, um, better uh, diagnostic testing. Um, the, Israelis, the Israelis are on top of this like no other country. Uh, great minds there. They, it's no surprise that uh, the people who invented um, text messaging um, would be the ones who would uh, be out in front of developing a vaccine, and they and they certainly are. They're very close to manufacturing a, a vaccine. Um, what I'm hoping comes out of this is good are good things and not bad things. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes just talking about what good things hopefully will come out of this. What we're seeing right now is is that so much of the red tape and the bureaucracy has been completely eliminated. That's because President Trump is a let's get things done kind of guy. You know, he's trying to um, push the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to stop being the, the cautious um, bureaucratic agency that is it has become and and get them to approve certain treatments because as he famously says whenever asked what the hell do we have to lose 
and um, and so I think that that's you know something that uh, we're seeing. We're seeing it. I'm personally seeing this in the, in terms of healthcare delivery. We are we've converted our medical practice, which is enormous. It's not you know like converting an entire healthcare system, but it it is a, a microcosm. It's a small part of a big gigantic um, healthcare system. My practice, Georgia Urology, is the largest in the southeast, and we've um, we've transformed our practice from a hands-on practice to a virtual practice in for ninety percent of what we do. And this has not been easy. It's not a it's not uh, something that is um, uh, intuitive. We have to develop all kinds of new workflows, and there's technical issues involved, and teaching patients how to become virtual patients instead of patients in in your office. It's particularly difficult with elderly patients or patients who don't own technology. Um, Not everybody has a smartphone. There's still a lot of people with flip phones. Those are people that, that are, you know, we have a difficult time doing virtual medicine telehealth with. But you hear this on TV every single day. We're going to do telehealth, and it's going to be great. And it could be great, and it's something that the um, the administration has um, uh, allowed to happen by uh, making sure that, um, that uh, physicians who deliver telehealth are paid for it by reducing the red tape, by allowing us to see new patients, um, which we couldn't do before, by allowing us to see patients across state lines via telehealth, again, something that we couldn't do before. So it's my hope that this red tape that has been eliminated is something that we see continue, and that's something that I and others will be trying to work very hard to make sure that does, that does not get walked back by insurance companies or by government, because believe me, what is happening right now is is a threat to both of them, and we want to see less bureaucracy, less red tape, not reinstitution of, of that uh, bureaucracy and red tape that was there before that put handcuffs on the medical system and um, did not allow us to be flexible and do the things that we're doing right now. It really exposes the the uh, uselessness of some of this stuff that we're compelled to adhere to, like HIPAA, the privacy laws. Now they're saying that we can do a visit on our phone. You know that that's that was not quote HIPAA compliant before. Well, why is it okay now, and but before it wasn't? That's something that we really need to critically look at. Another thing is the unpreparedness of the hospitals. The hospitals have become these these businesses that are not really interested in healthcare, and they've taken the focus away from what needs to happen, which is taking care of patients. And so now they are they're faced with a situation where they are caught flat-footed. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the materials. And that's because they have shifted their focus away from being what they're supposed to be, which is a place to take care of patients, instead of a big business that makes money, that generates money for themselves so they can grow and become bigger and bigger and pay the administrators in these hospitals more and more money. 
So this is a perfect opportunity for us to see laws change, which have eliminated competition and allowed these hospitals to thrive and become the the 800-pound gorillas in every single market in America, major city in America, where the hospitals are the largest employer and the hospitals control the the way that politicians vote. We need to get rid of the certificate of need laws that that keep people like myself and and uh, my colleagues who would like to open up a hospital that focuses on the right things to open and and uh, that that's something that I'm hoping comes out of this. What I'm hoping comes out of this beside those things and drugs being more um, available and getting to market sooner. I want to see protection for the physicians from predatory lawyers and ambulance chasers because I'm already hearing about lawsuits that people that lawyers are are trying to put together to represent patients who have not been taken care of properly in this crisis. And this just turns my stomach. I, th- these, these, these lawyers who are coming, crawling out of their holes to, uh, to um, uh, claim that the care that patients are being given right now is substandard. These people should be ashamed of themselves, and they are disgusting, and we need to put an end to frivolous lawsuits from from this scum and and protect the people who are trying to take care of patients in this country. And this is a perfect opportunity to get on board there, get on that bandwagon and uh, advocate for this because right now more than ever, um, the public um, recognizes how important it is for the doctors to uh, uh, be there to take care of them. I think that for a long time, um, over the last few years, doctors have been taken for granted. And, um, And I think it's more important than ever that we have independent doctors, doctors that are not owned by hospitals, which which uh, are are uh, a place where where the uh, there's a conflict between what the patients need and what the hospital is telling the doctors to do. And you're seeing this on a daily basis, where the hospital is telling doctors and other healthcare personnel what to do, which is um, contrary or different than uh, what their medical judgment uh, would dictate. So if we can uh, um, really get to that place where where um, the medical community is uh, um, uh, protected and respected coming out of this crisis, um, the way that it is being heralded right now in a time of crisis, that, that's going to be something that is very good, very positive, and, um, and I'm, I'm an optimist. I always look at the glass half full, not half empty, and I'm hoping that on the way out of this, we are better, we are stronger, and um, more prepared for what may come next and what we need to do every day, not just in a crisis situation, but every day. I can't even imagine 
what it would be like right now if we had a single pair um, government-run socialized health care system. And, um, and I think that, uh, that even though Betsy McCoy said that this argument is, is off the table, I disagree with her. I don't think that this is off the table for a second. I think that this is something that we have to be vigilant about and stay on top of. So I hope that you enjoyed the show today. Um, I'm going to get Betsy McCoy back in here uh, in a couple of weeks to get an update. Um, my next guest in a couple of weeks will also be Dr. Stephen Shore, who is uh, the former head of infectious disease at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and former uh, CDC um, uh, um, uh, infectious disease expert. So. So please join me in two weeks and come back next week uh, when my uh, guest, when my uh, co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, will be in the doctor's lounge. So thank you for being with us today. Bye-bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.